John 13, 34 to 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Well, once again, good morning and a really warm welcome to you. If you're visiting Reality Church London today, so happy to have you here. For those of you I don't know, my name is Bijan, the pastor for our church. Let me just say, as our nation is celebrating the life and grieving the loss of Queen Elizabeth, we recognize that for a lot of us, there are different feelings and different emotions related to that. Even as you just heard, next week we have Celebration Sunday, something we've been planning for a long time. And then the very next day, there's the funeral for the queen. And I recognize that for many, there's seasons of sorrow and seasons of joy. And that actually in our lives, sometimes those seasons take place at the same time. There's deep joy, but also deep pain. And so I just want to say that if you're processing, if you're grieving, if this news has been really hard, we as a church want to support you. Our pastoral team wants to pray for you and to process with you. You know, disruption is always hard. And death is the great disruptor. And every time we face death in any form, it disrupts. It causes pain. It causes grief. And that's what church is for, to be a community of support, a community of hope, and a community of honesty, even as we face those things. So just know, as a church, we'll be praying this week, and we're here to pray and process with you. Now, John 13 is our sermon today. You just heard this great passage read. Let me say a quick prayer and ask for God's help as we spend time looking at these incredible verses. Our God, thank you for John chapter 13, these words spoken by Jesus on the very night before his death. Now, as we look at these words together today, we ask for the power of your Holy Spirit to open up our hearts and our minds so that we don't just understand, but that we can experience and live out the truth that we encounter here. So we ask for your help now, and we pray for this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. As you just heard a few moments ago, this autumn, we're inviting everyone into community at RCL. And what we're doing as we welcome new people into our city, as new people come to our church, as some of you reimagine what committing to community looks like, we're starting September by grounding ourselves in some of Jesus' teaching about community. And so we're looking at various parts of John 13 to understand more about the kind of community we can be, the kind of community that Jesus wants for us. Now, part of the reason we're doing that is because one of the values that we have as a church is to be a community of belonging. We want to be a church in which everyone feels like they belong, like they're important, like they have a place here. We want to be a community of belonging. That's one of our values. But we have another value of the church, which is to be a community, a group of people that bring others to Jesus Christ. That's why we do something like Alpha. We want to be a community that's bringing our friends and our family and our neighbors and our colleagues, anyone we can, to experience the very love and power and grace of Jesus. Now, those two values might seem disconnected. Over here, belonging to each other as a church, community. Over here, what sometimes we call evangelism, bringing people to Jesus Christ. 
But in the passage you just heard read, what I hope you see is those two values could not be more intimately connected. The way in which we are a community of belonging impacts how we bring people to Jesus Christ. Another way to say it, the quality of our life together is our most important witness to the grace of Jesus in our city. And so that's why we need this passage to understand what it is Jesus is calling us to. So how we can bring people to Jesus as a community of belonging. So let's take a look at this really important teaching. Two verses packed with richness. And let's take a look and see three things. First thing I wanna show you is the command that Jesus gives. Second, the reason he gives that command And then third and finally, the power that we need if we're gonna keep Jesus's command. So what's his command? Why does he give it? And where is the power we need to put this command into practice? So first, what is Jesus's command? Well, it's right there in verse 34. Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Here's the first thing I want you to see today. Jesus is giving a command. He's not offering a suggestion. He's not saying, hey, disciples, if you guys can get around to it, I mean, if this fits with your busy schedule, love each other, you know, if you want, if it sounds good to you. Jesus is the king of heaven, and he's offering a command. He's saying, you must do this as my followers. If your boss came to you tomorrow at work and said, hey, I need you to get something done for me by end of day Friday. You would not respond to your boss and say, boss, thanks so much for that suggestion. Let me take a look at my week. Let me see what I've got going on. And if I'm able, I'll make sure I get that done. You would not say that to your boss, at least if you want to keep your job. Why? It's a command. It's not negotiable. It's something that's been presented to you by an authority. And Jesus is the king of heaven. And he looks at his disciples, he looks at his friends, and he says, love each other. This is my command to you. And we have to remember that as we approach the life and the teachings of Jesus. The fact is, many of us approach Jesus like his commands are just suggestions. Oh, that sounds nice, but I'm too busy right now to prioritize Bible reading. That sounds great, but you know, I've got too much going on to plug into community. When I get around to it. And we treat Jesus' commands like they're suggestions. We need to remember Jesus is the king of heaven. And he says, I'm giving you a command. So what is this command? Well, he says, as I've loved you, so you also need to love each other. Now, this is an extraordinary and dare I say, intimidating command. It would be one thing if Jesus said, I want you guys to love each other. That's hard enough. But what Jesus is actually saying is I want you to love each other the very way that I love you. Jesus's love is now to become the pattern for how these disciples, this community relates to each other. Jesus's love becomes the standard for their own. And so if we wanna understand this command, if we really wanna know what Jesus is saying, we have to ask the question, well, how does Jesus love? This is what we've been talking about actually for the past few weeks. So I can be brief here. But how does Jesus love? How does Jesus' love shape ours? Well, the first thing we know about Jesus' love is it's a humble love. It's a humble love. 
Last week, Pastor Gurma gave a great sermon. If you missed it, please find it online on Jesus stooping down to wash the disciples' feet. That's what earlier in John 13 we see, that Jesus, though the very high king of heaven, he stoops down, he actually humbles himself, and by washing the disciples' feet, he takes the role of the lowest servant. And Peter, when Jesus comes to him, Peter says, no, Lord, you're not gonna wash my feet. And I think we could understand that. You know, if the mayor of London invited you out to dinner at a really nice restaurant, and when you got there, the mayor said, I'm so happy to see you. This is going to be a great time. Before we sit down to eat, could I wash your feet? You would feel awkward. You would feel uncomfortable. You'd say, no, I don't want that. Because we know the lesser is supposed to serve the greater. It would be awkward for someone with such power and authority to stoop down and wash our feet. And yet here's Jesus, the one who put the stars in the sky, bending down to clean the dusty, dirty feet of his friends. That's love in action. That's a humble love. Jesus' love is humble. He, nothing was beneath him. And the only reason we ever think anything is beneath us is because of pride, because of an overinflated sense of our own self-importance. So Jesus' love, as we see it, it's humble. But not only that, Jesus' love is also selfless. Jesus loves others even though he stands to gain nothing from them. You know, this night when Jesus stoops down and he washes his disciples' feet, those disciples, even though they receive such a beautiful act of love, do you know how they respond? Not with gratitude and with joy. They actually that very night abandon Jesus. One of these disciples whose feet will be washed actually betrays Jesus for the equivalent of about $100. Uh, Excuse me, Americanism, apologize. A hundred (laughs) pounds. Jesus is showing them selfless love, not because they earned it, not because he would gain anything from them. Actually, he's loving the very people that are gonna fail him desperately. Jesus loves not because of what he gets from you, just because you're you, just because you're who you are. His love is humble, his love is selfless, and his love is sacrificial. Even as he stoops down to wash the disciples' feet, all of that is pointing forward to the cross. All of that is pointing forward to Jesus' ultimate act of love when he gives his life and he dies in the place of his people, laying down his own life for their sacrifice. You hear what Jesus is saying. I want you all, and let's be real practical. I want Reality Church London, if this is your community, I want you to love the people in the pew next to you and in the pew behind you and in the pew in front of you, humbly, selflessly, and sacrificially. As I have loved you, you also have to love each other. That's the command. Let's ask now, why does Jesus give this command? Why is it that on the very night before he dies, Jesus gives this command to his followers? Well, he tells us in verse 35. By this, if you love each other the way I love you, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Don't miss what Jesus is saying. The main identifying marker for your being a person who follows Jesus 
is supposed to be the quality of your love for the people sitting next to you. That's what Jesus is saying. The way you reveal that you're his follower is by how intensely you love each other. Now, that's surprising to us. If you were walking into the hall today and I stopped you at the door and I said, what are some signs of a mature Christian? You know, somebody who really follows Jesus. You know what probably I would have heard? People who read their Bible, maybe memorize a bunch of it. Or people who have a really intense prayer life. You're praying for five hours a day. Or maybe someone who's really active and doing good deeds and helping people and serving. All of those things, of course, are incredibly important. But do you know what Jesus says actually is the real mark of true spirituality? The real mark that you look like Jesus in the world? It's not the consistency of your Bible reading. It's not the intensity of your prayer life. It's not how many good deeds you do. It's whether or not you love the people around you. And if you love them the way Jesus loves, humbly, selflessly, sacrificially. That's the real mark of true spirituality, the quality of our love for each other. Years later, the Apostle Paul, in one of the most beautiful passages about love in all the Bible, would pick up on this very same theme. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, puts it this way. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I don't have love, I am only a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. What Paul's saying, in effect, is this. I can have all the spiritual gifts in the world, but if I'm not loving, I sound like a three-year-old playing drums. It's very loud, it gets a lot of attention, and it's very unpleasant. That's what Paul says is all your religiosity without love. Love is the thing. Love is the thing that identifies us as the followers of Jesus in the world. And so when we are a community of love, you know what happens? Our love becomes like a magnet. And people see a community that loves each other the way Jesus loves, and they're magnetized, they're drawn in. But equally, and some of you know this, some of you experience this firsthand, if you're part of a church that isn't loving, it makes you doubt the faith. And not are people drawn in, people are actually repelled. Love is all the difference in the world. Now, I want to press into this for a moment. Why does Jesus say that loving each other is so important as we reveal ourselves to be his followers? Well, here's one of the reasons why I think this teaching matters as much as it does. Because deep down, what every human being is longing for is to be part of a loving community and actually to be part of a loving community that goes on forever. What you want more than anything else is to be loved and to show love and to do that forever, to be part of a community that never dies. Luc Ferry teaches, uh, teaches philosophy at the University of Paris, and he has a book titled A Brief History of Thought. It's a very ambitious title, A Brief History of Thought. But he's an expert in the history of philosophy, and what he does in his book is he surveys all the great thinkers and all the great ideas from world history, Plato and Aristotle, Seneca, Cicero, Augustine, Aquinas, Kant, Buddhism, Free, uh, Nietzsche, Freud. He looks at the history of philosophy. And after he looks at all of it, he says, do you know basically you can boil down into one sentence what human beings want more than anything else? 
And he says in his book, he asks this question, what is it that we truly desire above all else? After looking at all the history of what do human beings want more than anything? And he concludes, here's what we want. To be understood, to be loved, not to be alone, and not to be separated from our loved ones. In short, not to die and not to have them die on us. This, by the way, he's not a Christian. And yet what he sees, the great longing of the human heart, what philosophers for thousands of years have been trying to get after is this, how can we be part of a loving community that lasts forever? How can we be loved and show love in a way that even death can't disrupt? That's what I want, that's what you want, that's what every person in our city wants. This is why, by the way, life in COVID was so hard. And this is why also life after COVID is hard. You know, many of us got used to figuring out rhythms of how to do life together in COVID. And then all of a sudden COVID restrictions went away. And many of us are now having to relearn what does it mean to be a community? This is a reason why life in London can be so tough. This is a transient city. How many of you had to say, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of us had to say bye to someone that we loved over the past couple of years? because it got too expensive to live here or because of COVID or because of family or a job change. This is a really transient place. We want community, but it's often elusive. And what Jesus is saying, the reason why this command to love each other matters is because Jesus is saying, this church is supposed to be a place that shows London that what London wants more than anything is actually possible. The thing that everyone is longing for should be our normal experience as a community. Loving community that goes on forever. And Jesus says, if you guys can love each other like that, the city is going to be magnetized. They're going to be drawn in and they're going to say, those are the followers of Jesus and I want to be a part of that. And you know, this happens. This happens, it's happened throughout history. Let me give you one example. This is going back to the very beginning. Some of you know that in the first few hundred years after Jesus' death and resurrection, Christianity was spreading through the ancient Roman Empire like wildfire. It was going fast. Everyone everywhere was becoming Christians. But here's what's interesting. In those first few centuries, to become a Christian was enormously difficult. There was an incredible social cost that came along with becoming a Christian. If you turned to Jesus and became his follower in the ancient Roman world, you were giving up status, you were giving up privilege, you were oftentimes losing your biological family. It was very costly to become a Christian. And yet, people were becoming Christians all over the place. And so historians are asking the question, why even though it was so costly, did people turn to the faith? Why, even though it was incredibly difficult, were people giving their life to Jesus Christ? And one of the things that historians say is one of the only possible answers to that question was the quality and the intensity of the love that was present in Christian communities. That even though it cost people everything, they saw in Christians a loving community that they always wanted and they said, we'll give everything up to be a part of that. So here's one example. In the third century after Jesus' death, 
there was a plague that spread through part of the Roman Empire. We know what it's like now to live through a plague or a pandemic. And they were doing this without the marvel of science and modern medicine. So here was a group of people going through this intense plague. And what one historian, this is a contemporary, someone writing at the time noticed, is that when this plague came into town, most people responded the way most of us did when COVID came, social distancing. But they were more intense about it. So the historian writes this, at the first onset of the disease, most people pushed the sufferers away and they fled from even their dearest, throwing them into the roads before they were dead. And they treated unburied corpses as dirt, hoping thereby to avert the spread and the contagion of this fatal disease. That's a really extreme form of social distancing. We are acting in an attitude of self-preservation. A disease has come, and so we distance ourselves from the sufferers. But the historian goes on to note, that's how most people responded. But the Christians were different. The Christians were different. The historian says this, the Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them, they departed this life serenely happy. For they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the very sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many, in nursing and curing others, transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. Why did people become Christians? Because a community of sacrificial, humble, selfless love is irresistible. And the people watching saw Christians giving up their own lives for others, and they said, I got to be part of that. I need to know a love like that. The very love of Jesus embodied in the community in this world. One pastor writing, as he was leading one of the churches during this plague, this pandemic, one pastor said this, it is our care of the helpless, our practice of loving kindness that brands us in the eyes of the world. Only look, they say, Look at how they love each other. How are we branded in the eyes of London? What are you known for in your faith? What Jesus is saying, what this pastor is testifying, what Christians throughout history have experienced is we can be known by the quality and the intensity of our love for each other. And when we are, the community is magnetized. It's drawn in. People say, I want to be a part of that. So the question finally for us is, where do we get the power we need to keep this command? Loving others humbly, selfishly, uh, self, that's easy, selflessly, sacrificially, it's really hard to do. And let me be also very clear, some of you this morning, you're saying, I wish I was part of a community like that, but I don't feel like I am. I don't feel like I'm loved and have even the chance to show this kind of love because I'm not close to anyone. This is hard for us. It's hard to receive this kind of love. It's hard to show this kind of love. How can we be a community that loves each other the way Jesus loves us? And here's the answer. The only way we're gonna be a community that loves like this 
is if we already know that we have been loved like this. The only way we're gonna be a community that shows Jesus' love is if we're a community that has experienced Jesus' love. That's the power we need. Come back with me to the text, verse 34. The text as I read it says this, as I have loved you, Jesus says, so you must love one another. So yes, Jesus is saying, my love for you must become the pattern for how you love each other. But what Greek scholars tell us is that we actually should probably translate what Jesus said a little differently. Because the way I just read the verse, the force of Jesus's language is comparative. His love is to be the standard for our own. But Greek scholars actually say the language Jesus uses is not comparative, it's actually causative. You're saying, you're losing me. This is Sunday, we're not at school. Here's what Jesus is saying. Out of my love for you, love each other. Jesus' love is not just the pattern, it's the very source for how we love each other. Jesus' love for us causes our love for the community. And of course it does. How could it be otherwise? Because think with me. Jesus' love for you is humble. Jesus is the one who doesn't just stoop down to wash feet. He actually is stripped naked and hung to a cross. Jesus, the king of the universe, is forsaken. So you could have a seat at the greatest of all feasts. Jesus is rejected. So you could actually belong Jesus became sin so that we could receive grace. Jesus humbled himself and went to the cross. Jesus, the king, said, I will give up everything for my people. His love for you is a humble love. And not only is his love humble, but his love is selfless. What did you have to offer Jesus? The one who actually put the stars in the sky the one who tells oceans when to stop and mountains how high they can go. What did you have to offer to him? Nothing. And he gave you everything. He loves you because you're you. Not because of what you give to him, not because of what you can do for him. His love is the most truly selfless love in the world. And his love is sacrificial. On the cross, Jesus was totally exposed. He held nothing back. He gave up everything for you. You see, the cross, the death of Jesus is the greatest statement of love that the world has ever known. And what Jesus is saying to his friends on this night before his death, out of my love for you, love each other. You don't have the resources in yourself. But if you turn to me in faith, if you receive my death for you on the cross, you know what happens? My love becomes like a well in your soul. And it just bubbles out. If your most fundamental truth, if your identity is shaped around the cross, then that means Jesus' love for you becomes the most gloriously beautiful thing about you. And what flows out inevitably is love. That's how we become a community of love. Not by trying really hard to be more loving, but by immersing ourselves in the love of Jesus and seeing his love for us. And as we do, we can't help but be a loving community 
because it's out of his love for us that we love each other. So three points of application as we come to this time of response. First, are you in community? Do you have some Christians in your life that know you and that you know? People that you're doing life together with because you can't put into practice Jesus' teaching if you're not in relationship with other Christians. Are you in community? If not, now's the time. This autumn, we're inviting everyone at RCL into community, whether it's a CG or Catalyst or Alpha. Get into community so that we can live out Jesus' teaching to love each other. Second, who are you bringing into community? One of the ways we tell London about the beauty of Jesus is by inviting people into our community. Who can you bring? Who can you bring with you to Alpha and say, let's have a conversation about faith as you build relationships with other people who are part of my church? Who are you bringing? And third point of application, and most important, how are you growing in your experience of Jesus's love? What, what practices, what, what habits do you have in your life to help the love of Jesus become more real to you? We want to know this love so we can share it. How are you growing in your knowledge of it? And to be really practical, here's a couple things. If you say, I want that, I, I want to know Jesus's love, I want to experience it. A couple practical steps. One, Bible reading. The old kid's song gets it perfectly right. Jesus loves me, this I know, for... The Bible tells me so. Do you know that the Bible, whatever else you think of it, you know what the Bible is fundamentally? It's a love story. It's a story about a great king who lost his great love and then who at great cost to himself came back to save her. The church. The Bible is a love story. And if you say, I want to know Jesus' love, here's the question. Are you in the Bible? The whole story is about his love for you, about what he's done to save Second, come to worship. You know, it's easy on our own to forget Jesus's love. But when we come together like this, when we gather in worship, when we especially take the sacrament, which we do once a month here at Reality, we have all these tangible reminders, the singing, the scripture, the Lord's Supper to remind us of a God who gave himself to us in love. Bible reading and worship. Those simple practices can inflame the love of Jesus in your heart so that we can be a community that shows that love to our city. Because he loves us, we can love each other. May God help us to be just such a community. Let's pray. Our God, thank you for this really powerful teaching that we've encountered from Jesus on the night before his death. And so now as we come to our time of response, as we experience this love as we encounter a God who loves us. We pray for you to pour out your Holy Spirit. Open our hearts to receive this love today, right now. May the songs we sing, the ways we reflect on this sermon, the community we experience inflame the love of Jesus in our hearts right now. May you heal us. May you empower us. May you free us. We ask this for your glory and for the good of our city. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.